Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to another edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. My guest today is Alfonso Williams. He is sheriff in Burke County. And today's show is brought to you by my favorite airport, the Augusta Regional, and my favorite consulting firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, LLC. Sheriff Williams is here with us today to discuss a number of issues related to uh, law enforcement. Uh, he's also going to discuss his new book. Uh, you may have uh, heard he made several comments on CNN. He's written a guest column for the Augusta Chronicle. And I really just want to follow up with him on some of those uh, comments and suggestions as he, that he has made to improve law enforcement in our state and community. I also, though, before we get started, want to tell you a few special things about him by way of introduction. Uh, he is the first African-American sheriff in Burke County, newly reelected. He is also uh, was the first African-American police chief in Waynesboro several years back. Uh, he also uh, was the chief of the Richmond County School System Police, which is a full service police force uh, serving uh, the school system there. They are sworn officers just like everyone else. Uh, and he spent a career in law enforcement. At this point, Sheriff Williams, could you kind of fill in the blanks with us on those things that uh, you've done that I didn't highlight? Yes, thank you so much for having me, uh, Mrs. Jackson, on Local Matters. We appreciate the opportunity to come and to address Augusta. It's where I spent most of my career. I started out at 19 years of age with the now defunct uh, Augusta Police Department. I was there until um, we consolidated with Richmond County in 1996. I went over after consolidation as a violent crimes investigator. I spent an, uh, uh, quite a bit of time doing that. I spent seven years with the District Attorney's Office, the Augusta Judicial Circuit, which includes Augusta, Columbia County, and Burke County. Uh, and uh, then went on to teach at a number of different academies. I served as a police academy director. So I've taught thousands of officers. Um, I've, I've taught at a community college, Augusta Technical College, for a number of years. And uh, uh, so I've been around for quite a while. So you are someone who's truly spent an entire career in law enforcement, um, the definition of a law enforcement professional your whole life. And we appreciate your service. Thank you. Uh, August will be 30 years. So that, that's quite a while. All right. That is, that is wonderful to hear that you stuck with it that long. I think sometimes people are surprised to learn of the knowledge and intelligence and caring of some law enforcement officers. Uh, people have uh, their own perceptions, sometimes based upon what they've seen on television, uh, sometimes based upon what uh, they may have encountered with one particular law enforcement officer. Uh, and sometimes it's not even them, it may be a neighbor or family member. Um, so it is helpful to have someone like you on uh, that can give an idea that, that all law enforcement officers are not the same. You're not monolithic. Uh, you all come with uh, different experiences, perceptions, uh, and frankly, level of dedication to the profession. So we uh, appreciate all that you've demonstrated uh, for serving the residents of Richmond and Burke counties. 
let's talk a little bit about the uh, Brooks incident at the Wendy's in Atlanta. I know everybody's heard about it by now. A uh, young man was there. If you watch the videotape that was played on CNN and several other channels, you see that uh, he was asleep in line blocking traffic at the drive through at Wendy's. Uh, Wendy's staff made a decision to call the Atlanta Police Department and I, as I was talking to folks about this, somebody suggested to me was, did they have to call the police at all? And, you know, as a trained law enforcement professional, what do you think about that decision? Well, I think that in this country, we have to decide what it is we want police to do and how do we want that to look. And we have to ask ourselves if the job that law enforcement is doing in a particular community lines up with the values of that community. It's our job, the very essence of our job is service. It's our job to maintain safety. So you've got a person who's at the drive-through, who's blocking the drive-through, customers can't get by, and, and you might say, well, why didn't one of the employees go out and move him? And it's, it's uh, uh, we have come to expect in this country that the police has the duty. They're the only ones that are out 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, who may be in a position to serve in a myriad of different ways. And, and they didn't say, come and fight with him, come and arrest him, come and kill him. They said, we have a guy that's in the drive-thru who is passed out, and it was appropriate to make the call. Okay. okay. All right. Officers get there. Uh, first officer, they seem to be having a very cordial, respectful conversation in both directions, both Mr. Brooks as well as the officer. Uh, they were talking to each other in a calm sort of way. Uh, uh, the first officer makes a decision that he needs to call in uh, someone else to assist him with the sobriety test. Uh, they do that. And then they make the decision that they need to handcuff him and take him down to the station. And that's when things got out of control. Is it always necessary to take the person to the station or would ha it have been appropriate for them to ask, hey, is there a neighbor or family member, somebody we can call to come pick you up? How, do, how, how are those decisions made in the field? Very good question, very fair question. I think that uh, you have watched a video, I've watched a video some 30 times now, and it's uh, the first officer's video, it's about 20 minutes long. The second video, it's about 23 minutes long. So they spent some 43 minutes with Mr. Brooks uh, exchanging pleasantries and talking. They showed empathy. The first officer asked, so where are you coming from? He says, "I." I've been visiting my mom's grave. The, the officer was extremely sympathetic and apologetic and, and showed that, that, that uh, empathy. And, and uh, so at some point, things went bad. Uh, Brooks decided he wasn't going back uh, uh, to prison and he made a split second decision to resist. The officers uh, fought with him, he was able to get control of, of the officers and take a weapon. And he then turned back towards those 
officers and fired the weapon. And it was very unfortunate that that uh, the officers were put in that position. It's very unfortunate that uh, Mr. Brooks' family will be without him and that his children will be raised without him. But I think that in this particular situation, they employed de-escalation techniques. They did throughout. If, if one who is in search of the truth would go and watch both of those videos on YouTube and look at them completely, you'll see that the first officer on the scene begged him three different occasions, three times to just pull over and sleep it off. And then I think somewhere the voice of reason set in and the officer realized that if I don't take some action, and you have to understand that every officer has discretion and can make a decision about what it is he wants to do. Now, I don't know the policy of the Atlanta Police Department if an officer is allowed to, to allow a, a, a person who is less safe to drive to just sleep it off. But he gave him that option on three different occasions. And uh, Mr. Brooks, uh, uh, fell, the first time he fell asleep in the drive-thru and had to be awakened a second time by the officer who encouraged him to pull over to, to the parking lot. And then uh, uh, he did that and, and the officer went up to check on him. Are you okay? Are you sick? Is there something wrong? And, uh, and then on the third occasion, Mr. Brooks got out of his car and walked back to the officer's cruiser or, or to his, the officer's police car. The officer had to beg him twice to please stay in the car. We know that when people are outside the car, our, the, the likelihood of being involved in some kind of negative interaction is more likely. And, and so he, he said, I'd hate to keep asking you this, but I need you to please stay in the car. So I think the officers used discretion, they use good judgment, they use de-escalation techniques, that's a buzzword for the last several years, uh, and uh, uh, they did everything within reason. They talked to him very nicely. It, it was almost as if it was brother to brother, if you will, uh, never condescending, never negative, and uh, it's unfortunate that it got out of hand. Um. As we discussed when we were preparing for the show, uh, some of those comments, and I heard you, I've heard you on two or three different occasions say something similar here. Of course, we got a little bit more time so you could expound upon your responses. Uh, but that's caused a little bit of controversy. You know, why is he getting into this? You know, what, what's the point of him making these comments? And I think when we talked about that earlier, you said, I am the type of person who says what he believes is right. So can you expand upon that a little bit? I can't, look, I'm, I'm a black man. I'm a man, I'm a black man. When I saw what happened in Brunswick and what happened in Minneapolis, I was so outraged, I was very hurt because I realized although those incidences did not happen in Waynesboro, Burke County, they have reverberating effects on law enforcement across the country. And I was 
bold enough to speak about those incidences and those injustices, so much so that I wrote a seven step plan to the governor of Georgia on how to address those issues in Georgia so that we can lessen the likelihood of them happening in Georgia. Fast forward a couple of weeks and we get the Brooks case. And because as black folk, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired, somehow we, in the Brooks case, let our emotions get the best of us and we wanna lump them all together. The downside to that is our children are watching, America is watching, law enforcement executives around the country missed an opportunity to stand up when Brooks and Floyd happened. We did not come together and denounce that. And then when Brooks happens in Atlanta, we have no credibility because we didn't stand together and denounce Floyd and, and, and Aubrey. Well, I did. And I penned a letter to the governor with a seven step plan to fix it. But I submit that Brooks is totally different. And I decided when I became an elected official, elected by the people, and I just got reelected with 85% of the vote with, with two opponents, that I'm not going to sit, stand behind some mouthpiece. I'm not gonna let some lawyer tell me what to say or not say. I'm not going to hide behind any of that. I'm going to speak the truth. Floyd and Aubrey were murders. Those officers were wrong. They needed to be arrested. I think I'm the only one in the country who was calling for, after the first arrest, I was saying, uh, let's, uh, let's go get the EMT who, who checked the pulse of Floyd while the officer still had his knee in his neck. Nobody, and still today, nobody's calling for that EMT to be arrested. I know that that's not policy. I know that's not what he learned in medical school. I think he contributed to, to Floyd's death, but nobody's calling for him to be arrested. In the Brooks case, it's just totally different. But I know we're tired. We're sick and tired of being tired. And so it appeared as though I was intervening at a time that was not convenient. But there's always the right time to tell the truth. And I don't think officers should be political pawns for somebody's political advancement because it hurts us around the country. I don't want my officers, when they have to make a split second decision about life or death, to be worried about where their boss stands and if he's going to, to, to sacrifice me for his own political gain. And I, I just think that's wrong. And I, I didn't do that. Uh, thank you so much for your explanation. Hopefully that gives people an opportunity to understand your point of view on this, which was the point of me, uh, one of the points of me inviting you to the show today. Another one of the points was to address that letter that you wrote to the governor. Uh, 
I obviously working in local government have been around law enforcement for a long time myself. And there were a couple of things on that list that really struck me as being significant. Uh, one of those was requiring a four year degree. Uh, when I saw that, I said, yes, because these people have to testify in court. These people have to write reports that attorneys then depend upon to make cases. Yes. So it is important that they can communicate in writing and orally in a way that helps them present accurate information in a logical way uh, that has to, to that leads to decisions made in court. So that resonated with me. I know it's not universally popular because there are an awful lot of law enforcement officers that do not have that four-year degree, but I understood why you put that in there. Uh, the other one I'd like for you to talk about a little bit is the recommendation. I had never seen this before. Uh, this was the, but I think it's a good one. Um, the one about having a national retirement system uh, yes. for law enforcement officials. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I can talk about that. Uh, if I could address very quickly, and I know we're under time, so I'll try to be very quick. The, the, the one requiring a four-year degree, I know that you have managed cities of, of fairly large size. Augusta, Albany, I believe. Yes. So you don't see that, you probably haven't seen this as much in, as in small towns across Georgia and across the United States. The average large agency is seven to 10 police officers. It's not the two or three or 600 that you're accustomed to right. being around. Right. So having some national standards and requiring education, did you know in Georgia, in Georgia, you can have an 18-year-old kid who quits high school, goes and get a GED, go to the police academy for 11 weeks, graduate the police academy, he can get hired in any small town in Georgia, making $12 an hour, and he has more power than a judge on the bench who has an undergrad, three years of law school, has passed a comprehensive bar exam, and if he's a judge on the bench, he's obviously practiced law, or she has practiced law for a few years. That police officer on the street has more power and more authority than that judge who has five times the level of education. The judge is making $150,000 a year. The officer is making $12 an hour. And yet we expect black men to stop dying at the hands of the police. We're not seen as professionals as administrators are and as, as doctors are, we have more doctors killing people every day, many times over, than police. But because they're seen as professionals, they don't go to jail. And just as nurses turn their heads and, and they see the mistakes that are made and they, they're just not going to because it'll ruin their careers, we have the same thing happening in law enforcement, but there's this perception that there's this blue wall of silence where police won't tell on one another. And I just submit to you that that is not consistent throughout. It does happen. And if it happens one time, it's too many. But to get to your, your, your the greater question you asked is, uh, why is it that I suggested, I, you, you gotta help me with the question. I think you asked me about, 
Yes, I was asking you about the nationwide retirement system for law yes. enforcement professionals. Thank you. So, so yes, going back to perhaps in Albany and in Augusta, you've got a decent retirement system. You work for 30 years, you can get 60% of your income to live off of. And most of the folks in Augusta can't live off 60% of their income. That's why you find police officers staying in the business until they're 65, 68, 70 years old. That person at that age cannot wrestle with some 25 year old person. So across the country, you're gonna see higher levels of force being used because the law allows us to consider things like age, exhaustion, skill level. And so we need to do something that's akin to the federal government. In the federal government, FBI, DEA, you have to be hired by 37 and retired by 57. We don't need 60, 65, 70 year old officers out here trying to do a job to make ends meet because the salaries are so horrible. So we need standardization. We need some national standards where, where agencies can't go below this minimum. I've, I've been a police academy director. I've seen them come into the police academy at 60 years old. They're just starting their careers at 60. You would rarely see that in many places, but when you look at Burke County and some of these other small counties across the state and across this country, it's not consistent. All right, we have covered so many topics. We only have a few minutes left. There are two important topics I want to get to. Uh, one in relationship to the book you have written. It is called Not Here to Be Served. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book? Yes, thank you for the opportunity. So the, the Bible, Matthew chapter 20, verses 28 says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. It is my favorite Bible scripture. And so my book is entitled, Not Here to Be Served. I think we have too many people in government, too many people in politics, too many people in the medical field, too many lawyers thinking that they are here to be served. It's our job to serve mankind. We're not here to be served by the people, but to serve the people. And that's what my book is about. And how does one get a copy of the book? The book is on Amazon.com, uh, mm -hmm. or you can go to SheriffAlfonso.com, or you can go to Alfonso-Williams.com. I have all of those domains. You can find the book there. I have them with me. We have sold over a thousand copies personally. We have sold several hundred on Amazon, and uh, I would love to to have you read the story and see how a single mother of seven who raised us in abject poverty, uh, did a really good job and got us where we need to be. 
All right. And one thing, as you mentioned that, I can't go without saying, I did not realize until a few days ago that the new uh, school superintendent in Burke County may be related to you. Is that right? It's my sister. Yes. That's, That's right. my oldest sister, Angela. Yes. Okay. So uh, your mother was able to raise uh, well-educated, dedicated professional people who are serving the community in a number of ways. Is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement, and thank you for your kindness. Okay, very good. I, I just love to see stories like that. Um, I love to see, you know, people don't have to end where they start. Um, sometimes we start in what would look like the worst conditions ever, and we're able to rise above that. So uh, we appreciate all of the efforts, not just of you and your sister, but also of your mom as well, in making sure that you all were prepared to take on those uh, responsibilities in our society. Uh, we have got a couple of minutes left, not many, because I got about five minutes. And um, I really wanted you to address this question because I have been discouraged, quite frankly, by what I'm hearing from mostly young people, but I have to acknowledge it, some older people too, uh, because of all of the incidents. And you alluded to earlier about how this is just a tough time for us, but all of these incidents related to law enforcement, uh, we are getting to the point where there are substantial numbers of people, uh, largely, but not exclusively, people of color, who do not have any trust, faith, confidence in the law enforcement profession. They don't have any confidence in any individual law enforcement officers. Uh, they just believe that all of you are bad people operating a bad system that's bad for everybody. What do you say to the people who have become that discouraged? What, what I say is we have got to start electing people that have our interest, best interest at heart, people who have hearts of a servant. I hear so often, we need more black officers in the black community, and I just think that's the silliest statement you can make. We don't necessarily need black officers in black communities. We need people with a servant's heart in our communities. It doesn't matter what color they are. If you give a 25-year-old black officer uh, a, an assignment to go to a particular area to police and you give a 25-year-old white officer that same assignment, they're going to go in and they think they can arrest their way out of crime. When you're a 30-year veteran, you realize you can't arrest your way out of crime. This country is nearly 300 years old, 400 years old. We, we, uh, we understand we can't arrest our way out of crime. We understand that we have to find other ways to mitigate that. We need more social workers than we do crime fighters. We need people who care and we need law and order. We have got to teach our young people, it's not okay to resist an officer. It's not the time to fight about a ticket on the side of the roadway. An officer knows the longer I'm on the side of the roadway with this ticket, uh, this citation business, the greater my chances are of dying. He doesn't want to be there. They, we've got to learn to fight another, live to fight another day. We've got to push for body cameras. They don't tell the whole story, but it's better than he said, she said. We've got to push for standards. We've got to get our law enforcement executives to hear us out. We've got to march with purpose. We've got to stop saying things like defund the police. We cannot live without law and order. 
So we, so I know one person says that and it means one thing to them, to somebody else, it means push more money towards mental health. But when you say defund the police, you scare people who think that if they're going to come into my house next, and it's only deepening the divide that we have in this country. We need police. We need them better educated. We need them to have psychological assessments. We need to look at PTSD with our officers. We're serious about it with, with, with military, but we're not with police. We need them to, to have experiences, cultural diversity, inclusive, inclusive, inclusiveness. We need our officers to have a retirement so that we can better recruit, retrain, retain, hire the best qualified folks, but you're not gonna do it when you're paying $12 an hour to a guy with a GED. And he chose this job because it was the easiest thing to get without any education. Uh, Sheriff, we could talk uh, for another 30 minutes, I am sure, but uh, it is time for us to close this show out. I thank you so much for your contributions to the law enforcement profession. I thank you so much for uh, your honesty in terms of addressing head on many of these issues that unfortunately some are trying to skirt. Uh, we really just appreciate everything you've done to uh, make Burke County a better community and, and your time during uh, your tenures in Augusta making Augusta better community as well. Uh, you quoted your favorite Bible verse earlier, so it's time for me to quote mine as I close. Uh, mine is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making to make sure that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in here on WKZK next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. because local matters. Thank you. All righty.